Can you grab your Bibles and grab uh, James? It's an amazing letter, chapter 2, the letter of James. The thing about uh, the Christian God that I'm slowly learning is that even when the words that we read seem pretty uh, challenging, well, no, not, not pretty challenging, really challenging, and they make you squirm in the chair and you feel like, am I even a Christian? The thing I'm slowly learning is that even those bits of the Bible are actually all flowing from a heart of incredible mercy. Always. Isn't that amazing? That even when we feel pinned down by the Word of God, and as we've gone through this book over the last few weeks, James has been, well, for me anyway, in my pack, as we've gathered together, we've, we've just felt convicted every single week. But what I love is, is that even when we feel like that, is that the God of the Bible is a God of incredible mercy. And you might not call yourself a Christian here today. You might be here cheering on one of your friends who's getting baptized. Or you may be a Christian and maybe you're like me and that sometimes you read the Bible and somehow you just sort of forget the mercy. It it just somehow isn't the thing that you sense and you feel. And when it says, taste and see that the Lord is good, you don't really feel that. But the wonderful truth is that even in James, which is this sort of, whoa, hot, incredibly challenging, painful book, even then it's flowing from a heart of mercy. Let me just demonstrate that. We're going to read from verse 13 of chapter 2. It says, for judgment is, is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. And Betsy unpacked that last week. But here we go. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Hallelujah. As Christians, that's a real fridge magnet. That's one of those ones you want to hold on to. And then just as James is saying, mercy triumphs over judgment. And we're all going, yeah, thank goodness. We're feeling forgiven and loved. Boom, in he comes again. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says, He has faith, but does not have works. You're like, whoa, James, what's happening? You've just said mercy has triumphed over judgment. And the very next verse, it's like back to the James that we've been grappling with. Mercy, mercy. What good is it, Travis, Jared, whoever your name is, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that kind of faith save him or her? Who is feeling nervous already? I am. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, oh, go in peace, be warmed, be filled, without actually giving them the things needed for their body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. As we go through this passage, look out for the four different, very flattering words that James, inspired by the Spirit, uses to describe faith which does not have accompanying works. First one we've seen here is, what's that word? It's dead. Oh dear. You know, James is pretty black and white, okay? 
He's not nuanced. He is boom in your face. He wants to grab you lovingly through mercy today out of your comfortable life, your quasi-Christian life, and say, there it is. If you have faith, but when I ask your wife, what are the works that come out of your husband's faith? If there are no works, then my conclusion is, it's dead. He carries on. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. You know, I am spiritual. You're an activist. You like to do stuff. That's not my style. God bless you. You've got a gift of mercy. You help out a lot with the, with the poor people. That's not my thing. Show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. Well done. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith, apart from works, is, here we go, second one, useless. So it's dead, it's useless. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed with his works. So working backwards, two more things that he's saying is faith can be incomplete without works, and it can, be, it can be inactive without works. The scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So our faith, if it hasn't got works, can be described as a faith that is inactive, it's incomplete, it's useless, it's dead. Four things to describe faith without some kind of expression, some kind of activity. I've heard it said that Jesus was just all about the heart I have even said that. I no longer think that is true. I don't think he's just about the heart. I think he's also about the heart and your body showing that what's in your heart is real. <laughs> I don't think, I think it's a cop-out. I do, and I feel so convicted by this. But remember, it's the mercy. <sighs> it's the mercy of God to speak these tough words. And maybe it's just me, but maybe you're like me. And when I... I, I think about this challenge, I think, well, James, please help me because I don't want to have a faith with no works because then this kind of faith is useless, it's incomplete, it, it, it's dead. So the million-dollar question for us today in the few moments we have is this. What was it about Abraham, who is the key example here, his faith and his works? How was it that Abraham didn't just have a Tom Shaw type of faith, but he had this rich, works-expressing faith. And there's two things that we see here that give us absolute insight as to what fully functioning faith looks like. Two things. Real faith that has works that 
mean that your faith is alive, it means two things. You ready for this? First of all, it means that that faith in your life, if we were to look at your life, it must, it must have a kind of what I've called a good death happening. And I'll explain that in a minute. For your faith to come alive through works, there must actually be a kind of death at work at the same time. There must be a good death at work. And secondarily, if we look at Abraham's life, what we learn is not just that, but there, there is a real relationship. So let's look at the life of Abraham. This story, Genesis 22, we've got to read it. It's just, it is something that Hollywood, you know, should do a film about. This is, this is the climax of Abraham's life, and this is what James is referring to. And some of you, more and more nowadays, will not be growing up with these stories of the Bible. So I just want to read, just for a moment, this extraordinary story where Abraham now, at this point, is over a hundred years old, and yet the thing that's about to happen, now James is saying, look at Abraham's life. Look at this guy's life. This faith was completed. It was active. It was alive through what we're about to read. After these things, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son. He took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, don't lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now, just, just let this sink in. James here is choosing 
to use this moment in history as the pinnacle of his demonstration of what living by faith actually looks like. Think about that. He is saying for your faith to be alive through works that God calls you to do, a life where you are expressing in activity the things he calls you to, for that to be alive, I want you to think about Abraham carrying his son to a place of death. I mean, this blows my mind as a father of three children. This is one of those bits of the Bible that, you know, you come to and you're, you're like, this, I can't even begin to imagine what would have been going through Abraham's mind. I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of unfathomable in my head that this man, this aged man, was able to do this. But what I want to emphasize today, what I think comes out, which is so important, is that for our faith to be a little bit like Abraham's, a little bit like Jesus's, for us to live by the Spirit, for us to be alive, for faith to be alive through works, as we step into those works that are led by the Spirit of God, this is what we must be ready for, which we are not often ready for is a corresponding kind of death that is happening. Do you see that? If you'd said to Abraham, Abraham, this is the moment that for thousands of years people are going to talk about and think about. This moment of extraordinary spirit-led faithness. This work that is beyond comprehension. How did you feel at that moment? I bet you with all my heart, he would have been saying, I felt like I was dying. Now, this is massive because in the Western world, the Christian faith sometimes is, is twisted to actually say that your life should be about comfort, about pleasure. We, the air that we breathe as Americans, as British, is that, we, that life is about avoidance of pain, about avoidance of all suffering. As a parent, that's my unconscious default, is to try and avoid all pain with my children. The problem is for us to be a family that follows God and moves 6,000 miles to another land where despite all of the love and the comfort and the beautiful reception that we have had is nevertheless a huge kind of ongoing death. As grandparents in England mourn rightfully, their children and their children's children. As a city that we spent 20 years of our life pouring our lives into mourns, and we mourn them. <laughs> to follow Christ, to walk by the Spirit, means that you put to death the deeds of the flesh. Do you understand? Lloyd-Jones, he famously, a British preacher, he said, when you become a Christian, you actually become two people. There is the true you. There is the new creation. There is the person who is in your deepest identity and now a son of God, a daughter of God. Hallelujah. You've been changed forever. Your deepest desire is to love God, is to follow God. But this side of glory, there is that old fleshly part of you that is still alive. And often, if we are not aware of the, of the, of the death element as we are led by the Spirit, we are shocked. Any kind of pain puts us off following Christ as you think about becoming a member. And it brings up old hurts and difficulties. We can shy away from the pain and actually not follow God into what he wants. As we think about giving, 
our time and our money into this church, as we think about forgiving that person. And God's saying, come on, you can do this work. We need to be ready, friends, that to be led by the Spirit, to be led by Him, is to be this extraordinary paradox of knowing the pleasure of the Father and a strange kind of crucifixion. That we are those who are carrying on. Jesus says, follow me. Pick up your cross. Deny yourself. The old Tom Shaw is going to be screaming every time I want to walk by faith. And I want to say that because if you don't have a reference for pain, you will think that you are failing or you will just shy away from this. And you will have this quasi-faith that is not active. It's not real. Do you understand? This is a merciful appeal of God. Your faith can be not real if it isn't completed with going through the pain barrier throughout your life, empowered by the Holy Spirit. I've got to follow the Spirit, and that means I've got to therefore join with Him in putting to death those things in me. But I think that, I think that it's not just saying, you know, get ready for pain and da la la. There's a deeper thing going on in Abraham here that causes the pain. It's actually the surrender of control. That's what's going on in this old man from age 70-ish up until the point now where he's 110. Those 40 years, God bless him, I identify with him. He is having to learn to let go of control. That's what's going on. His story is at one level a very simple one if you don't know it. Just when he's about to settle down and to move to the nice part of Visalia and retire, God says, up to the desert. And he starts to even, see, right at the beginning there, he has to learn, oh, to follow this God. Right at the beginning, there is a death. There's a death to the vision I had of my last years of life. I cannot follow God. I cannot do it. You cannot follow the Spirit of God. You cannot follow Christ and do the works he has prepared for you. And all of heaven is cheering you on. Go on, forgive that person. Take that next step. Prophesy in faith. Give to the poor. Do something that I'm calling you to do. He, he calls us to do that. We cannot do that unless we are willing to leave, leave, leave. Experience death, death, death. Death is at work in me, Paul says, so that life is at work in you. It's just the way of the kingdom. And we fight it. And, and there's pain, but the deeper issue I don't want us to miss is actually it's about control for Abraham. You see, 15 years in, what does he do after waiting for this miraculous son? Suddenly he can't bear it any longer and him and his wife decide to try and give God help, to give God a hand. And they hatch a plan for Abraham to sleep actually with the servant girl, Hagar. And Ishmael is born. And God's so merciful to them all. If you look at them, he's so merciful to Ishmael. He's so kind to Abraham and Sarah. But what that's saying is, is that in Abraham, the real death was actually a death to control. After 15 years of waiting. And friends, for you, for me, I think it's true to say that perhaps one of the biggest, if not the biggest, death that we are called to embrace to follow Christ is to daily say, Lord, not my will, but your will. It says in Romans, those who are led by the Spirit are sons and daughters of God. Think about that. You're led by Him. That means He's in charge. 
then you're a child of God if you're led by him. Do you understand? That means that we are fundamentally reactive people, not proactive. We are fundamentally led by the greatest leader, but he leads us to become like Christ, which means we have to therefore embrace him fundamentally to letting go of control in your life and in my life. And maybe you find that easy, but I would, I would say with all my heart, I think probably not. Where in your life, right now, is the Holy Spirit saying to you, let that go? Where is he now saying, please follow me and let that thing go? Just take a moment in the stillness of this room. I promise you he will be speaking to you right now. He will be saying, unless you learn, and for some of you, you're right at the beginning of this journey, and, and, and you actually thought you might be Christian because you've grown up in America and you've gone to church, and God's saying, where are the works, my friend? The works come alive when you surrender like Abraham did again and again and again. Oh, friends, the quicker we learn this in our lives, the quicker we learn to put, take our hands off the wheel and say, great surgeon, you do it. I want to just say, listen, guys, I am the biggest offender of being a control freak. And we use the word control freak as if it's funny. It's not. It's a path to death. It's not funny. And God in his mercy is saying, look at Abraham. It's always been this way. Look at Jesus, the perfect model. Free, joyful, uh, the truest son of God that ever lived. No hint of grasping. He gave it all up joyfully. That's the path of the Christian way of God. You, you let God be God. And as we see these wonderful people about to get baptized, what a demonstration vivid. You are dying to your old life. And in a way, you are being baptized every day, every hour of your life, death and resurrection. Hallelujah. Listen, I, I know this is, sounds hard hitting, but remember the mercy. There is a pain, and I want to give you a vision for pain, is what I'm saying. I want to give you a vision for embracing it, because only when you say, actually, this is normal, you know, this is okay. This war that is in, in, in my soul this envy, this pride, this jealousy, this anger, this fear. It's because the old man or woman is dying and praise God, it's a sign that you are being led by the Spirit. But I want to say this, and with this I will finish. Abraham did not just demonstrate faith that was fully functioning because of embracing death. Here is, here is the really amazing news. The way that he did this, listen, the way that Abraham was able to embrace the losing of something to gain obedience to God was because over those 40 years, he had learned that he was a friend of God. Do you see that? It says here, and we can almost miss it, it says all this stuff about Abraham, and it just says this little line, and he was a friend of God. What? 
I mean, I spend my life searching for labels. Who is Tom Shaw? I'm 39, approaching my midlife. Who am I? Am I a pastor? Am I a teacher? Am I the funny guy? Am I the serious guy? Am I a father figure? Am I whatever? Shut up, Tom. When you become a Christian, you become a friend of God. What other label do we need? I mean, come on. The Christian faith is not just, hey, you might get forgiven. Yes, it starts with forgiveness, but it says you then are seated in heavenly places. Ephesians tells us that you are adopted son or daughter of God, that you were chosen before he made the foundations of the earth to be holy, boom, chosen, boom, and blameless before him. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It's not possible because you're in Christ. So whatever label you think you're going to wear in your life, I am the provider. I am the mother figure. I am the wise one. I am what? Can I lovingly say, take those off today? Abraham's label that empowered him to actually let go of control was because he was a friend of God. Now let me just illustrate this. Abraham made some catastrophic, catastrophic mistakes in his life. One of them was the fact that not once but twice, when he was fearful, listen, he offered his wife to the ruler of the land, pretending that she was his sister, so that that ruler could rape them, could rape her. Again and again and again. He went to bed, protected, putting his head on the pillow as his wife was abused. Think about that. That's Abraham. Didn't just happen once, happened twice. And yet God calls him his friend. Through those 40 years where Abraham made mistake after mistake after mistake, what would have been happening in the heart of Abraham would have he would have been discovering the grace of God, the mercy of God, that the God of the Bible sends the rain on the just and the unjust. He is a God of indescribable generosity and kindness and mercy. When he says in 1 Corinthians, love is patient, love is kind, really what he's saying is God is patient and God is kind. Now listen to me. The older I get in my life, the more I discover how awful a friend I am. I am. So many of my loving acts to people are actually really still about me. The self-love in my soul just is so insipid in me. And the older I get, the more I'm beginning to taste This extraordinary truth that God calls me his friend and his love, his love, his love is better than life. It frees you to be average. Hallelujah. It frees you to preach a stinker of a sermon and go, I might have lost every friend here, but I have a friend in heaven who loves me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It frees you to get baptized and to feel maybe fearful or like a fool or whatever. And to say, but my friend is closer than the person sitting next to me. 
He is preparing a place for me. He is the one who intercedes for me night and day. He's the one who gave his life on the cross for me. No one else has done that. (laughs) This is Jesus. And he's raised from life. He's not just a kind person, although he is. He's a powerful person like no other. You think, think about this, and with this I'll finish. Look at Abraham now. Fifteen years in, he's offering his wife up to a king out of fear and weakness. He's not protecting his beloved. He's offering up like a piece of meat. This is not a nice man. And God, in his wisdom, deliberately chooses this man to be in here for thousands of years so that no matter what you've done, no matter who you think you are and how unworthy you are, friends, there is grace for you today. There is grace. And it is worthy of shouting about in a nation and in a world where there is such ungrace and such lack of mercy and judgment, 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 condemnation. We wake up in the morning Get up, do this, work harder, achieve more. And all the time, the God of grace is screaming to us, what are you doing? I've always chosen sinful people to display my glory. And I want to change you. What I love about this story is that this man that we read about and that we in our heads deify, he offered up Isaac. And there's no grumbling, there's no fear. It says in Hebrews, describes Abraham's heart as he did this. He says, he was fully convinced that God was able to raise the dead. What? Come on, Abraham. Listen, where has this man come from? You've got Abraham of the beginning who's offering up his wife and within 25 years of becoming a friend of God and knowing his grace and knowing his mercy, he's like a different man. He's saying, come on, Isaac. I have no idea how this is going to work out. But I know God is good and he's promised through you that he's going to do amazing things. That's amazing grace. Your life can change. I'm sorry I'm excited, but I, actually, I'm not sorry in the slightest. I am, this is the gospel. As these guys get baptized, it's the wisest decision they will ever make. Whatever they do with the rest of their lives, Honestly, in terms of labels that the world gives them, is so secondary. We are like a vapor. We are like a cloud that one moment is on the Sierra Nevadas and you look back and it's gone. Oh, cling to Christ. Run to Christ. Get in Christ. If you don't know Christ today, I want it with all my heart. Don't say, don't do what I did for 20 years, which was be an angry atheist and think Christians were fools. Christ is your only hope. And he's a friend like no other. Your spouse or your friends, your parents, wherever you look to, to have relational satisfaction, porn, or whatever it is that you go to, that craving for intimacy, let me just scream with all my heart, Jesus. Jesus! (laughs) He's here today! He's dancing with joy over your life. How can you say that, Tom? Because he danced with joy over Abraham and he transformed him. So in this moment of incredible heroism where he said, I trust you with my son whom I love, my only son. Who does that remind you of? God. He was becoming like God. The wife abuser was becoming like God. 
I think the gospel's pretty good news. Anyone here agree with me? Let's, let's thank God. Father, we don't know how to end, really, but we love you. We praise you. I thank you, God, you're building a church. I thank you there are many here today, and in their hearts, faith is coming. That I can walk by the Spirit, because pain and lack of control is part of the deal. But I want to pray more than them being aware of that. I pray for friendship. Deep, deep, deep friendship. Oh, friendship. I pray for those who are getting baptized. Baptized into friendship, not just forgiveness. Lord, do it. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.